This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, January 17th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, rural communities shift away from boom and bust, Smart explores new loss in route times, Lip Sync lights up community, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, Norwood lost a member of its community last week. Elvin Parker passed away in his Norwood home early Friday morning after losing a seven-year fight with lung cancer. He was 66 years old. Parker was surrounded by his family when he passed. He is survived by his siblings, Jeff, Richard, and Alice, his children, Preston and Brittany, and his wife of 28 years, Christy. As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, we're sticking at home. Mining has been an economic driver in southwest Colorado since the late 1800s. But when a local mine and power plant closed in 2017, a number of communities were forced to reimagine, with the region working to create a new economic future. Walk into Wild Gals Market in Nucla, Colorado, and the store is bustling. Owner Galette Corngold is doing inventory on the order that just came in when a member of the community busts through the door. She got her days mixed up and forgot people would be coming to her house for book club in a few short hours. She needs soup and bread. What? Book club today? I thought it's tomorrow. (laughs) Wild Gals is a success story for the West End Economic Development Corporation an organization supporting small businesses like Wild Gals Market and encouraging new industry and jobs in the area, something crucial since the closure of local mines. Nucla and Wild Gals sits in Colorado's West End, a collection of communities on the west ends of Montrose and San Miguel counties in the southwest corner of the state, right on the Utah border. If you ask Dina Sheriff, the region has always been boom and bust. The people that came out here, if they were not the original homesteaders, they came out here as part of a mining operation or milling operation for uranium. And then when that kind of fell out of favor post-World War II, we saw a little bit of a bust then. Uranium came back a little bit in the early 80s, busted again in the 90s, and it's been very volatile since then. Sheriff is the executive director of the West End Economic Development Corporation, or Weedsea. The last bust came when the New Horizon Mine and the Tri-State Power Generation Facility closed in 2017. It's been challenging when you have a community of less than 1,000 people. You're talking 10% of your population was impacted by this. And that's just direct impact. That doesn't count the grocery stores and the gas stations and the hair salons and everything that were also impacted. According to Sheriff, about 60% of the mining workforce moved. Businesses on Main Street largely sat empty, but a group of locals in the West End did see the closure coming and created Weedsea, 
with the aim of helping new businesses and the region weather the storm. That's everything from how to set up your books, how to hire, do you need a personnel manual, where do you find employees. We really help them try and identify every piece of their business so that they can be successful. Sheriff says Weedsee focuses on three areas of business growth, entrepreneurship, value-added agriculture, and outdoor recreation and tourism. To date, Weedsee has worked with over 100 entrepreneurs in the area, with 36 of those turning into businesses. Galette Korngold, over at Wild Gals, was one of those entrepreneurs, although she didn't lose her job when the mine closed. Originally from Montreal, Canada, she and her husband moved into the area just before the pandemic and bought an old mechanic shop. Once we moved here, I realized that there was no food that I really wanted to eat in this town. And we had this great space at the front of the building, and I decided to open a food store. Wild Gals Market focuses on local, organic, and homemade goods from the region with a selection of ingredients from the international market. We have elk and other game meats. Corngold says Weedsee was integral to developing the plan for Wild Gals. I took accounting classes and business mentoring from Weedsee. And because we don't have a commercial kitchen of our own yet, and we make a lot of homemade food, we use the kitchen at Weetsy, and that's just been the greatest resource. We love that kitchen. The West End is shifting. New businesses are opening, and broadband across the region makes remote work easy, drawing workers from across the state and country looking for a rural life. Corngold says it's an exciting time to be in the area. I feel like we're at the beginning of a renaissance here, and it's really cool to be a part of it. As that renaissance continues, the future of the region is still to be determined. But for Sheriff, she hopes the days of boom and bust are over. For her, it's all about steady community-building growth over the long term. And Weedsee plans to be there every step of the way. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation is considering changing route times for the Lawson Hill service. It's been a challenge for the drivers to keep Lawson running on time, especially now the traffic starts getting bad, right? The school generates a ton of traffic and um, also in the mornings. That's Smart Operations Manager and Senior Planner Carrie DeStefano speaking at a board meeting last week. To deal with the schedule challenges, the transit body is considering extending the hours of morning service while also extending the loss in loop time from 30 minutes to 45. It'd just be a lot easier for the drivers to maintain a schedule and thereby increase our reliability, which is, you know, something that's always been a goal. A 45-minute loop could also allow the new schedule to line up with the off-season schedule, according to Smart Executive Director David Averill. That's been a goal of mine since I've been here is to try to, as much as we love the schedule change, <laughs> which nobody does, it'd be great to be able to put that to, to rest and just get something more consistent, consistent time points throughout the year. And then we just add more buses and service for the off-season would be a huge step in the right direction, I think. The extended time, Averill adds, would also build in slack so the Lawson bus can eventually also serve the proposed site for a new medical center at Society Turn. Now granted, that's three, four or five years away, but 
clearly already thinking because we know we're going to have to serve that spot. The smart board agrees with the proposed change. Board member Lance Waring appreciates it would future-proof the schedule for other changes and build in time for drivers to stretch their legs between runs. There's all kinds of reasons to not have this down to the minute. Board member Marty Prohaska adds the change would help the route be more reliable. While it does potentially reduce the total number of trips, I think that Consistency is certainly more important. Smart, DeStefano adds, is also considering other route changes, including adding a midday and later evening Norwood route and adding a route from Lawson Hill to Mountain Village. Kind of our plan is once we've generated some potential alternatives, I think we'll start putting it out to the public and engaging the Citizens Advisory Committee. At last week's meeting, DeStefano also announced the transit body began the process to terminate a contract with a company to develop a platform that would allow riders to track where smart buses are on an app. The transit body has been working with the company for over a year, but according to DeStefano, persistent issues have made the tech quote, problematic and inconsistent. Still, Smart isn't giving up on the idea. The transit body is considering working with a different company to get the tracking capability up and running. You could say... Kodo's Staff Lip Sync 2020 was advice for the years to come. Kodo preached safety from the Sheridan Opera House stage, and two years later, the message remains the same. Stay safe and assess your own risk. This year, of course, we have strict, strict um, COVID protocol, and we're going to work it. So we're not going to put in anybody in jeopardy. That's Bearable Hacka, Kodo Lip Sync organizer. Hacka and Kodo executive director Kara Pallone note the decision to host an in-person lip sync this year wasn't an easy decision. They want to keep the community safe, but with the extra layers of precaution, it felt worth it. After talking to County Public Health and talking with Bearable, who organizes the event, and having conversations as staff, we decided to proceed. So in the end, we kind of just are leaving it up to everyone to decide whether it's something they want to do or not. And Hecka says the community's solidarity will make the performance a success. I believe that people are ready for a live performance and feeling, yeah, I need to protect the other person and they're going to protect me. And I think even we have such a high incidence in this town that we can work it because... I think everybody is very clear what their role is. With the decision to move forward with Lip Sync in the rearview mirror, Pallone says the excitement around the iconic community event is building. Watching all of the videos on our, you know, we always like take a trip down memory lane and watch all of the videos from past years. And it really is just like, it just, it's triggering just all these memories of, highlights from past years and just seeing how fun it is once we're all there and the creativity that everyone brings to the table. It's just amazing. And it's like the most raw, silly form of fun that there is. And so I'm just ready to laugh. And I we all need to laugh right now. And that's lip sync. You know, that's lip sync 101 is laughing and having a good time. 
Taking a trip down past act memory lane, Hekka has one act that immediately pops into her brain. Oh, spontaneously, the Tibetan monks, uh, they came on stage and they did their... And then they changed it and they had costumes, they had colored uh, sheets, and then they changed from that guttural, guttural singing into I'm too sexy for my shirt. And it was amazing. But that's just one of so many, many, many. And I'm always amazed about the single performance, the group performance. And main thing, it's it's a community event. We have everybody. Of course, she also remembers lip sync number one. I was the first lip sync winner in 1986. And so I'm glad I'm still alive. I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm glad that I can be still part of it. Really, why would you want to stay away from the gleaming lights of the opera house? You can be another person without using your own voice. No, you just need to move your lips and make everybody believing that you are the singer. And that's lip sync. The KOTO Lip Sync will take place on the Sheridan Opera House stage on Friday, January 28th at 8 p.m. Tickets are available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. For those interested in participating and winning cash prizes, email KOTOTelluride at gmail.com. There's no Monday morning pick-me-up like a bake sale. There is a lot of things each one of us um, made. I made the sausage rolls that sold out really quickly. Whoopie pies and corn muffins, cupcakes, cake pops. Sat in the sun at the base of the gondola in Telluride with the accompaniment of a Telluride Fire Protection District fire engine, Olive Desario, Ileana Henderson, Brielle Geisler, Nellie Knight Hegg, Sarah Bowser, Molly Hine, and Ensley Barber, all eight and nine years old, are selling their goods. While a bake sale is a quintessential childhood activity, today the girls are taking a grander view. They're raising money for families impacted by the Marshall Fire outside of Boulder, which burned roughly 1,000 homes. For a lot of the girls, raising money for Boulder hits close to home. Here's Desario and Henderson. My grandma lives there, and um, really close to there lives my um, aunt and uncle and my cousin. But their house didn't burn down, but I thought it would be fun to do that. My mom's friends and my aunt and a lot of other friends of my mom went to collar in Boulder, so that really means a lot to me. Bowser also thinks about all the furry friends who need support. I really feel bad for all the pets, and I was listening to the news, and I heard that puppies got left down, cats got left in the house, people lost all their belongings. And for Barber, the Marshall Fire highlights the inherent risk of wildfire in Colorado. You can't really control wildfires, and it made me feel pretty sad that it burnt down so many houses. The girls are doing their part to support, and the community is showing up too. With an hour to go on the warm January day, they're nearing their goal of $1,000. Has the bake sale been going well so far? Yes! Yes! 
Do you know how much money you've raised? So far? At the end of the day, the final tally puts bake sale profits at over that $1,000 with a match from the Fire Protection District. The funds will go to the Community Foundation Boulder County Wildfire Fund. If you missed the bake sale but want to give, go to commfound.org. A cozy winter evening may be the perfect time to get your indomitable spirit stoke on. This week, Mountain Film is sharing Mountain Film for Locals, a classic medley of 2021 festival films. Films will include all jokes aside, following Elan Stribling, a wildlife biologist, stand-up comedian, fly fisherman. Born from Junk looks at two pioneers in mountain biking, riding clunker bikes down mountain passes between Crested Butte and Aspen. Motherlode is a tribute to the ski moms that somehow make the sport happen with their littles bombing down mountains. You and the other thing that you love shares the story of Nick Mullins, a teenage skate punk on the brink of turning pro when an accident leaves him blind. The captain follows Sadie Samuels, the youngest and only female lobster boat captain in Rockport, Maine Harbor. Slim Pickens highlights Jamaica Dows, owner of Slim Pickens Outfitters, the first black-owned outdoor gear shop in the U.S. Finally, sibling rivalry shares the showdown between professional mountain bikers Becky and Ryan Gardner on the trails of Telluride. Mountain Film Notes for those looking to bring children. Two films include strong language and one addresses the death of a parent. Mountain Film for Locals will take place on Thursday, January 20th at the Wilkinson Public Library starting at 5.30 p.m. This year, a group of mountain climbers hope to make history as the first all-black team to summit Mount Everest. Phil Henderson of Cortez is leading the expedition known as Full Circle Everest. He's worked in the outdoor recreation industry for almost 30 years and has been on expeditions to Everest, Denali, and Kilimanjaro. He joined KSUT's Tammy Graham by Zoom to talk about the historic planned ascent of the world's highest mountain. Thanks so much for joining me today, Phil. Yeah, thanks for having me. Several months ago, I learned about a pretty remarkable project that you're highly involved in. You're actually the expedition leader for the Full Circle Everest Expedition. Phil, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of this project? Yeah, well, I've actually been um, to Nepal, you know, several times and have built relationships. But, you know, 30 years ago when I started, you know, working in the outdoor industry, it wasn't something that I really looked at. But what I saw at that time when I came in the industry was there wasn't a lot of people of color who were doing the things that I was, that I had decided I wanted to do and, and work, you know, through the years, I've just kind of become a, a mentor and kind of role model for other, for a lot of people, but more specifically people of color who want to get out outside and, and climb and ski and boat and those kind of things. And so over the years, I just kind of embraced that role and, and have always been willing to give my time and experience and, guidance to those folks who who want to get outside. And over a number, again, number of years, I just kind of run into other folks who look like me who also enjoy sports of mountaineering and climbing and skiing. We just decided that since we were all going down that path and I've I've had relationships and experience climbing in in, uh, in the Himalayas and so on, that it was a it was a good next step project for for folks on the team. So Speak a little bit about the title, Full Circle Everest, uh, and the year 1963 and how that plays into uh, this project. Well, you know, the Full Circle itself is 
more so about, again, my recognition of people who want to get outside and not having role models, you know, in the industry. And so just giving, you know, kind of reaching my hand back and, and helping them and sharing my experiences and knowledge and places to go, all those things with, with future, you know, future generations. You know, the first American expedition to Everest was in 1963, which was the year that I was born. You know, a lot of younger generational folks don't understand and, and know what was happening in our country back then in the 60s, you know, and thought about that when I was there in 2012, where I was a part of the North Face and National Geographic Expedition, which was a commemorative expedition to the first American expedition. So to be a part of that, again, it's kind of coming full circle. I don't think there were a lot of people of color who may have even been thinking about climbing Everest back then. But then in reality, we know that there were, we just don't know that the stories, we don't know those folks' stories or other people, you know, of color back then who were maybe engaging in, you know, mountaineering or climbing or other outdoor activities. And so you know, now we're, you know, 50, 60 years out of that and to be a part of the first all black expedition and to be in a position to be the leader of that expedition. For me, um, when I look back to the year I was born, it just, it again, it comes full circle. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of interconnecting uh, circles happening here so, uh, in this story. <laughs> so many, so many. I mean, I every time I talk, there's another story that I can connect with that. And 1963 was also the year that Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. And that ties in, it seems, also with coming full circle, like in doing some reading and background on, on your work and your vision for this project. Is uh, There's also that significant um, event and how far we've come and yet how far we still have to go in terms of, you know, racial inequalities, et cetera, in this country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, you know, those are, we can't. Honestly, I don't, I don't believe that we can talk about climbing and Everest and the outdoors and the push for diversity and representation and not talk about the past. We have to look at the past in order to be able to, to move forward in a positive way into the future. Again, I think a lot of times people may think that when we look into the past, it's a negative thing. And it's like, no, we have to, but this is really being a positive and saying, you know, this person had a vision. You know, we all know that that Martin Luther King had a vision and that vision is still alive. And for us, that's a positive thing. I think for our country, that's a positive thing. And I know a big a big part of uh, the mission also that, that it, obviously you spoke to it a little bit is it seems to be a, a lifelong passion um, really emerging even more so here is getting youth of color into the outdoors and how important that is. Yeah. Again, you know, I think just getting people. Yeah. Especially youth of color because... The opportunities have just been, you know, when you look at how our society has has progressed, I guess you can say, you know, and yeah, we have more, we still, the opportunities are there, but, you know, for most kids of color who are living in the urban areas and so on, you know, they've been somewhat disconnected. And it, to me, it's more of a, it's a systemic thing when you look at, you know, the type of educational programs or after school programs or any of those kinds of things that we actually provide for young people, especially young people of color these days, you know, we need to expand that. We need to expand their their horizons and their experience and just their drive of wanting, you know, what, what things are out there in the world that, that are accessible to them. And the outdoors is accessible to them if we really feel like 
they're a part of it. And we need to help them make sure that they understand that they're a part of, of, of the natural environment that we have. Um, anything else you'd like to share about this project, Phil, or you know what it means for you personally, or just anything? It's coming right up. It's what you'll probably be leaving for Nepal in yeah. four months or less at this point. Yeah, a couple months. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. First, first week of April or so. I'm really just excited to to have the opportunity to be a part of the expedition and to really just talk to people about the nature of the expedition and and really trying to bring something positive to you know not just the black community, but even the community I live in right here in Southwest Colorado, you know, and to other communities around the globe. And that's me in a nutshell is that my, my vision is is very global. And I know that this expedition has, has resonated throughout communities, you know, in, in places that I've visited and that I, you know, communities that I know, that's the goal, you know, is to have a positive impact in a time where we need, you know, something positive in our lives. I've been speaking with Phil Henderson. He is the expedition leader for Full Circle Everest Expedition, which is a group of all African-American black and brown climbers from around uh, the United States uh, and the world. Or are most of the climbers from the United States, Phil? Most of are from the United States, but we do have KG, who's from Kenya, Abby, who's from Canada, but, you know, her parents are Ethiopian, and if I'm not mistaken, Nigerian descent. Manoa, we have whose parents are from, from Ethiopia and Samoa. So his, you know, lineage is different as well from around the world. But we're all dark-skinned people, and we've all kind of been through the industry and seen the things that, you know, and experienced the things that when you're a minority that, that come along with that and have been able to kind of strive and, and reach the levels of which we are now. That's a special bond between all of us and you know, just knowing that people from from around the country, and we all have seen, you know, these last two years of a lot of different things. And even currently, just looking at, you know, tornadoes and, and people losing life. And it's hard to, to kind of go forward and keep moving forward when there's so much negative things going on. But, but we really still feel like bringing this expedition to light and letting people follow it, it brings, you know, something positive to their life. That's Cortez resident Phil Henderson talking to KSUT's Tammy Graham. Henderson is the leader of the 2022 Full Circle Everest Expedition, which is seeking to become the first all-Black team to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Details of their attempt can be found at fullcircleeverest.com. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Tuesday should be partly sunny with a 20% chance of snow showers. The high is around 40 degrees. Tuesday night, expect mostly cloudy skies with a low near 20. Wednesday should be mostly sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night with a high in the mid-30s and a low around 15. This has been the news for Monday, January 17th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.